The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination, eat, drink. Rice balls in different shapes, gelato on a brioche bun, and markets named for yelling. This week, we're in Palermo, Sicily. I'm Brent Peterson. Join me on the podcast for all that, plus some of the best views in Sicily and a former nun who makes pastries. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Nice. Hey, welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey here with Bart Hansen at the Hansen Homestead on a rainy day with blue skies coming out and traffic on the 101. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Highway 37 is backed up for miles. Backed up for miles, babe. Now, and, uh, you know, that <laughs> bottle had a distinct glug, 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 glug. That sounded like Cabernet. That sounded like Cabernet. Yeah. <laughs> that it is, actually. That uh, it is. Cabernet from our guest, Bettina Shell. Hello. <laughs> How you doing? So if you don't mind, pull that mic right up into you or scoot your chair up into it. If you can be like within this, it's great. And Sam Katuri here today, freshly... Uh, shorn. shorn. <laughs> yeah. Not, not exactly sure if anyone else could tell Harvard. but us. But. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get it. We'll talk about the weather, the traffic, yeah. my beard, <laughs> beard. anything. What else? We <laughs> Welcome to the winemaker. And how about this label on the counterpoint from Laurel Glen? How about that? You know, I love a good map on a label. <laughs> I do. I do. That's Are you being cool. a facetious? No. Look. Okay. Yeah, that is a uh, from a topo map of Sonoma Mountain. Um, who else does it? I think Westwood does something similar on there. Yeah, there's uh, been a number well. of wineries that had small map-type references. I, I always think I like it looks the, nice. the Topo, though. Yeah. You know. And so. on the back label are the map coordinates. Oh, yeah, nice. Wait, is, and is 38 and Degrees one of them? North 38, 22-7. Yes. <laughs> West 122, 34-17. So anybody out there who was in the military... Uh, Melanie, this goes out to you. <laughs> Would know how to get there. Otherwise, um, I think I'll still need to Google. <laughs> I was going to say, what's really cool is from if anyone's listening right now and you want to go to Google Maps, you can take those coordinates can, can that you? Sam just should gave I, you. Should I say it again? Yeah, and, and I think I'll, you can. You slower. can just look down right on top uh, of the vineyard. Um, 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 north thirty-eight twenty-two-seven, uh, west one twenty-two thirty-four seventeen. There it is. Look. There's the row of there Cabernet. <laughs> I see those three rows of Cabernet originally planted in 1968. There you, there you go. go. Wave at Phil, uh, who <laughs> is working in that vineyard in 1968 at the age of 13. That's Seriously? Right. Yes. It's first, such a great story. First vineyard he worked in. Because he grew up next door, pretty much. Right. The, the Katuri property on Enterprise Road is basically... Backs up to the bottom of of the Laurel Glen property. Oh, interesting. Okay, so I've so been this up there. was before Patrick Campbell. Yeah, pre exactly. Right Phil before her, it was Laurel Glen. Phil helped plant the first Cabernet there, which predates Patrick Campbell by about ten years. Wow, so funny how things come back around sometimes. I know. It's, yeah. it's, 
or or you can never get away. <laughs> Can't get other. rid of Phil. Meant to be is how I think of it. But the vineyard was planted even before that, right? Well, it, uh, the vineyard. You're right. During the, some time, right? The the vineyard does have these ancient vines from the you know 19th century, which are attributed to the you know first Europeans to settle that part of Sonoma Mountain. Um, and I don't know how big that planting was. Right. Right. You know when. Phil was 13. Right. <laughs> he, doesn't, he probably doesn't. Today, it's, right. it's just a row of vines. Right, correct. But who yeah. was paying him when he was 13 years old? So the property was owned by a woman um, oh, whose name I know, but it's she She hired him to help her, to, to basically help plant the vines. So everyone just I mean, knew Car- the... Carmen's, Carmen something. I, I imagine that there was also a bit of um, my grandparents... Sending them out there <laughs> right. um, to, you know, get, get to work, get, go do something. Get to work. You know, huh. my, my grandfather was famously the kind of person who, and then, uh, and and this happened to Phil from Joe Miami also. Uh, that, you know, if you are Best le- name uh, ever. leaning on a shovel and come up and kick it out from underneath you, <laughs> and not that Phil isn't exactly the same way, also. Right. Well, uh, yeah, in my family, they called you a leaner. You were part leaner. of, you were one of yeah. the leaners. There, <laughs> Enterprise Vineyards, it's either a, you're a stake lean, right. which is either that you lean against the stakes, or even more damning is that you stay clean. <laughs> if you stay clean, yes. working in the, you're the, like, you know, I'm totally a stay clean. Right. Yeah. yeah we, we have, yeah, you we know have, what it I mean, is. I'm pretty dirty, but I'm. But I'm if you got time to lean, you got time to clean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we have chefs like that. When you see those chefs that have the perfect chef's coat, no stains or anything, you know that's the executive <laughs> chef. <laughs> exactly. They just kind of bark orders. They're not doing... You never see them with a knife. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Um, what are the varieties of the... remain? Do you know the variety of the... The, the ancient vines? The ancient vines. Uh, you know, we know there's an Alicante Boucher vine in, uh-huh. in there. There's a Syrah vine. Everything is a, is different. Right. And um, there's a... There's a Palomino. I think there's a Palomino vine in there. I want to say there's a Pinot vine in there. You know, there's there's kind right, of one of everything. One of everything. And you get you you make that into rosé. Rosé that I was really hoping you were going to bring, but really is like disappears. Yeah, unfortunately, as soon as you put it in the bottle, basically, right? Yeah, I mean that rosé comes from th- essentially three rows of vines, so it's it's you know it's a very small production. Right. It doesn't last very long. Yeah, is it allocated? I mean, do wine club members well, get we, that? Yeah, so it goes first to wine club members, and if we have anything left over, we'll pour it in the tasting room. Right. But Because um, you don't do any other white wines, do you? Well, no, that's actually not exactly correct. Um, when when the rosé started, you know, when we it became clear that we weren't going to be able to make enough rosé to last year-round, yeah. we started buying... Sauvignon Blanc from a vineyard in Russian River that Randall kind of fell in love with, Hopkins River Ranch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's old vine Sauvignon Blanc. The vines were all playing in the 1970s. Mm. Um, and we were fortunate in our timing and that, um, you know, he's had some other customers drop off. So we've been able to increase our purchases from there. So we're up to about 400 cases of this Sauvignon okay, Blanc, Sauvignon which Blanc. is basically intended to so that we always have something white that we can offer. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and it's, it's a, a cool it's, refresher to, well, and winemaker dinners get challenging for chefs when all you have is Cabernet. Absolutely. Three, yeah. Absolutely. Three Cabernets. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like we maybe jumped into the middle of this whole thing. Um, 
Well, someone's here. Patina, will you um, maybe introduce Laurel Glenn a little bit, sure. and then and then maybe yourself a little sure. bit, um, as far as all of those things go. Well, so Laurel Glen is a small winery. Uh, w- our name is Laurel Glen Vineyard because the thing that we consider to be our point of differentiation and our, you know, the thing we're proudest of is our vineyard. Uh, so we have an estate vineyard on Sonoma Mountain, which is quite small, but it has a long history. Um, the vineyard was first planted Cabernet in the 1960s. You know, over and over again, the vineyard has proven to be a very good source for the variety. Um, and I think the Cabernets we make from that vineyard have kind of a distinctive quality. Um, so Laurel Glen Vineyard, the, the winery dates back to the 1970s. Um, the founder is a man by the name of Patrick Campbell. He bought this property. It already had three acres of Cabernet. Um, he initially sold the fruit, and then he started to realize that everyone he sold it to, Vineyard designated that fruit because they liked the quality mm. so much. And eventually he started you know, making wine himself and stopped selling fruit. Um, and I met him in 2009, and I was super impressed by the vineyard, by the wines. And he was kind of ready to retire, and I was ready for a big challenge. So I put together a small group of investors, you know, basically you know, friends um, with extra cash, and um, we bought the the vineyard and the winery from Patrick Campbell in 2011. And I brought in Phil, Sam's father. Well, actually I had met Phil before and I, I had started talking to him and, um, did you meet through, through Oakville ranch? Yeah. Through Paula through Cornell. Paul, exactly. Cornell. That's somebody we need to get on here. <coughs> Paula Cornell. That's a great, we'll add that to the list. Absolutely. We'll, we'll work on that. <laughs> She's got a great story. Yeah, great story. So anyway, so I had actually hired Phil to, to consult before we even, you know, closed. Uh, you know, so I initially I, I asked him to tell me what he thought of the vineyard, whether you know, there were any problems I needed to be aware of. Well, talk about having a history with the vineyard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he was very complimentary and, you know, very supportive. And then, um, you know, he, I knew that he was going to be taking over as soon as we closed. But before we closed, you know, I hired him as a consultant to come in every few weeks and kind of coach Patrick's Vineyard crew, who then did nothing, but whatever. It was all good. <laughs> it all oh, worked out. Thank you, Mr. Kateri. We're going to continue doing exactly what we were doing. Exactly, <laughs> Thanks exactly. for stopping by. Who was that guy? <laughs> and really, the shirt he was wearing? <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, what, what I've tried is, to do is basically be very... Um, you know, respectful of the history of Laurel Glen, while at the same time, you know, trying to bring the wines into the modern era, I guess you would say. So the the lineup of what we offer, you know, is more or less the same as what Patrick offered. Um, we just, you know, we're now um, certified organic and... Um, we do much more careful sorting in the vineyard. We do much more careful sorting in the winery. So, you know, we're much more choosy about what goes into the fermentation tanks. And the result is wines with it, which have a little bit more richness in the mid-palate. The, the tannins are a little bit more elegant. And thus, even though these wines really benefit from age, today, you know, a young Laurel Glen Cabernet is something you can appreciate, you know, while recognizing it'll get better with time. Whereas in Patrick's days, you really needed 10 years before 
you can approach those wines. Wow. And the, you know, talk about we're going to talk about the tannin structure of of Laurel Glen, um, in the same way you kind of talk about uh, Mayakamas, and and in the same way they're both sort of. Uh, not what has become typical Cabernet sites in Northern California. They're they're a little bit north facing. They're a little bit cooler. Um, and it takes a little bit longer to ripen. A little slower, slower growth kind of spots. Um, but oh. that's also what well, uh, makes Blanc's it always been. in that category of of classic California. You know, I mean, wasn't it always that Laurel Glen was known because it was. Um, uh, uh, Elegance was a wine. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a I tough a... word for you, Bart. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> wow. Have a piece of cheese. Yeah, try to form a sentence. They were elegant wines, right? They had a reputation for being elegant, but also needing a lot of time. Yes, and needing a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. And now, so what, uh, how much did production drop when Phil came on board? <laughs> <laughs> What do you mean by that, Brian? <laughs> I mean, you know, Phil well, Phil there. loves his grapes hanging with integrity in dappled sunlight, Bart. Which means <laughs> the ones that don't have integrity. <laughs> a lot the, of them got to go. Hit the vineyard floor. <laughs> yeah, they, they, it dropped quite a bit. Yeah. I will not lie. Yeah. Um, but, you know, another complicating factor is that at one time, um, Patrick basically leased all of his neighbors land. So he was farming, I think at one time, 25 acres. Wow. Uh, but his actual vineyard is 14. So, um, you know, that, that's another, you know, it's, that's a hard thing to, you know, kind of quantify. Yeah. But no, you're right. Patrick definitely went more towards the three and a half to four ton, you know, mark. And Phil, uh, you know, I, I consider a year where we get three tons per acre to be a really good year. Yeah, so he must have been <laughs> and, on vacation and since 2011. That's happened twice. I was going to say yeah, maybe, maybe twice. Definitely. Yeah, 14 once. and 18. Yeah, and, 14, it, I, and I'm 14. sorry if you said this earlier. What elevation do you set at? So it's not that high. I mean, it, it, it ranges from about 850 to 1,050 yeah. I mean, that's, feet. That's the that's the that's not the valley floor by any means. Right. And you know? but what's kind of significant is you definitely have that. You know, mountain effect. You know, right. the you have the you know fog below you. You know, you it's you you're above the fog during much of the growing season, right. um, and you know Sonoma Mountain is an extinct volcano, so very rocky soils. You know, you have a lot of the characteristics that are associated with mountain absolutely um, yeah. farming, even though it's really a, a you know a plateau that. You know, we're not thousands of feet above. The right, and and then, but the one of the neat aspects of it, it, it is kind of a plateau. I mean, the the yeah. the grade is gentle there, which I would think would be good for farming. Yeah, it makes you know, it a little easier. Makes it a little, yeah, a little more workable and even ripening as opposed to something really steep. Um, and if it was the steeper it gets, the more those production numbers fall. Right, seems. right. And also, you lose vines in in terraces and and. Things like that, so you know you don't get quite the. I mean, it is for a, a Cabernet site, especially some of the newer plantings. There's pretty high density vines out there, which you know help both in the evening of the you know evening ripening uh, and um, you know keeping some semblance of economics. Yeah, there are some blocks that are really densely planted. Patrick would be the first to say too too dense. Yeah. 
And Randall Watkins has been your winemaker since day one? Yeah, well, so I, I didn't have enough connections. So, so Wait a minute, I, you I, didn't have enough connections? Well, <laughs> so what I'm trying to say is that, you know, the, the task of hiring a winemaker was very intimidating to me. Yeah. So I actually hired David Ramey. To help me hire a winemaker okay. and to kind of you know be the consultant initially. Friend of the program, David right. Ramey. Yep. Yep. So he was our consultant for the first three years, and he helped me hire Randall. Um, and yeah, Randall's been wonderful. So yeah, Randall's been there more or less since day one. Yeah, maybe since day two. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. why that property? When you got a group of investors together, and I mean, what what was it about that property that just really got well, you motivated? So I had. You know, I helped to launch Quintessa. I was the director of sales and marketing for Quintessa for 10 years. So, you know, I felt very comfortable with Cabernet. Yeah. And when, when, so the my lead investor is a high school buddy of my husband's who I've known for a very long time. And when we first started talking about this idea of buying a winery, the assumption was always Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. And at the time, that's where I lived. Um so we actually tried unsuccessfully to buy a couple of things in Napa Valley. Oh. And, um, you know, we got frustrated and they weren't perfect. And, you know, they were quite distressed. One of them was quite distressed, whatever. So then this friend of my father, so this family friend, said to me, I, I you know, have you ever met Patrick Campbell? You know, I, I've heard he's interested in selling. You know, I really think you should go meet him. So I took this journey over the Mayakamas um, to Laurel Glen, and I was just so impressed by, you know, the vineyard. You know, he, the first bottle of wine Patrick ever opened for me was 2005. I had not never had a Cabernet like that. Really? Oh, it was the, the acidity in that wine, especially then. This was now 2010. I, I mean, like, took the enamel off your teeth. I, wow. I was like... It was like sticking your finger in a, in a light socket. <laughs> wow. And I was like, I, this is the most incredible Cabernet. I don't know. There was, there was just something about it. And Patrick, I was so, he was, I mean, he's such a, I don't know, he's got so much cred. Right. He, the whole thing, the right. whole package was there. Yeah. And it was a small vineyard. So you, you know? were seduced. I was seduced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And was he living on the property? Um, at that time, he was not. Okay. So he and his wife had already divorced, and she had kept the house on the property. So that's one of the reasons he was selling. He'd gone through this divorce. He'd moved to um, West County. Um, you know, getting to Laurel Glen was a schlep now. Yeah. He had had polio as a kid, and right. he was now in his 60s, and, you know, walking and all that Vineyard activity stuff wasn't as easy for... Anyway, there was a whole bunch of factors, and that was one of them. Okay. And did he, was, did he move over to West County to sort of try his hand at Pinot or Chard or something? Or that was no. just where he wanted to, wanted to live? Yeah, no, it had nothing to do with <clears throat> Pinot or Chard. Because by then, he was very much in the thrall of um, South America. So um, he right. was traveling to Argentina several times a year and making wine there. So that was that was his principal business when I met him, huh. was I think three or four brands from Argentina. That he then, was consulting with, or he was bringing no, up here. No, that was they were to- yeah. totally his projects. Yeah, I do remember a, <coughs> at least one of them, um, and I just I always figured that he was doing some consulting down there also. 
Yeah, I don't know. He could have been. I, I thought I couldn't and answer. I'm drawing a blank on the gentleman that worked for him. Ray Kaufman. Ray Kaufman. Yes. The famous Ray Kaufman. Yeah. Now, weren't um, the owners of Contessa Argentinian as well? A Chilean. Chilean. Yeah. Okay. I, I used to work for Visconti Catering. And, and oh, we, yeah. Very close For Andrea. And, and we would do a lot of events oh, out yeah, there yeah. on the and dessert on the island. Dessert on the island. Yes. <laughs> it's a pretty cool spot. <laughs> Have you been out there? No. Oh, it's Not really island, gorgeous. No. Yeah. yeah. No, they're, they're a private home. They would, we would host events out there and have dinner at the long table under the roof. And then, and then for dessert, they had a little island with a bridge. And so we would do dessert over there. And yes, I've met for, Andrea many, many times. Cool spot. For me, the thing about Quintessa was it was such a eye-catching front, you know, driving by. I mean, you know, I, I'll say that nothing like at, at the time, nothing really had been done like that. It certainly didn't look like a winery. Not a, not a American winery, not a California. You know, winery. I was so surprised by the architecture because by that time, by the time Augustine started designing Quintessa, you know, I had been to his winery in Chile. I'd been to his house in San Francisco. All you know, very kind of um, almost colonial in their you know kind of um, aesthetic. So I I was completely shocked that he yeah. went so modern. I mean, it kind of just looks like a rock wall. Yeah, it looks like it's kind of built into the hillside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, their house is not like that. Their house you can't really see from the street. You have to drive. It's a little bit past uh, the winery, and it's yeah. You think you're in another world. So the first wine you poured is the Counterpoint. Yes. Which, when Patrick had it, Counterpoint was kind of his second, second label. label, exactly. But it was still a state, right? Yeah. So Counterpoint um, is basically. Patrick developed Counterpoint as a way to make Laurel Glen better. Right. So the idea was that the lots which were more forward, um, you know, more ready to drink, would be diverted into Counterpoint, and that would allow him to use only the lots that were more, you know, age-worthy for Laurel Glen. So that's still the concept today. Um, we, at one time, we were not using a lot of estate fruit, but that's no longer the case. So it is mostly estate, although... We continue to buy Merlot from Pickberry, mm-hmm. um, but that's the only non-estate fruit in Counterpoint. I really like the middle on that wine. Which I think um, it has a Merlot sort of plumminess in the middle. Um, it's a, you know, I've, I have, haven't have tasted this in a while. Um, it wasn't the 16. The 16, well, is, 16 is such a pretty vintage. This is, yeah, it's, 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 it's you know, it has great fruit. Um, but also this savory, yeah, like almost herbal, not not herbaceous, but herbal, um, and also this like spark to it. It's got yeah, this great yeah. liveliness. I mean, sixteen. You know, my career of you know officially tasting wine in a winery, knowing what it's going to taste like when you sell it, um, <laughs> is very short. But in my entire life, I've never tasted wine out of the press. In sixteen, except for in right. sixteen, that tasted like you could put it in a bottle and right. sell it to people. I mean, it was it yeah. was oh, interesting. Um, it seemed to be a very common cry cry yeah. in sixteen. Like the wines taste so good, yeah. you know. Yeah. Would you pass that over here? Yes. <laughs> Brian's like, stop talking about it and pass me the bottle. Give it to me. So um, okay. So next, I should pour the, the, the Laurel Cap. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so. Um, 
have you talked about the tasting room yet? If people want to come visit Laurel Glen Why, when they're out here. Thank you for that <laughs> that prompt. And also, will you please um, say the website so that way, if people are listening, they can sure. take a look at the website. The also. website is www.laurelglen.com. L-A-U-R-E-L-G-L-E-N.com. And we have a tasting room in the town of Glen Ellen, which is the closest town to the vineyard. Um, we're open seven days a week. Um, we strongly encourage appointments. Um, you know, it's, it's a very intimate experience. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you want to go see the vineyard, that can also be arranged. You know, manpower, mm-hmm. um, manpower permitting. Right. And probably weather. Yeah, manpower and weather permitting. Exactly. Like, a, like a, a great afternoon would be to go for a little hike in Jack London, stop in at Laurel Glen for a tasting in the afternoon, and then oh, either and stop dinner, at Le Pascal, you know, yeah, Le Pascal for lunch. For lunch. Yeah. And then either dinner either at the Fig Cafe or at the Glen Ellen Star. You right. Know? Or the, the Inn. Or the or Inn. The inn. Or and then drinks at the lodge with the drinks locals. The lodge. Yeah, take a look locals. at the cannon and a ga- and a game of pool <laughs> and a game of pool. <laughs> um, so the tasting room is there in Glen Ellen, and you, I'm sorry, you said you're open seven, seven days, days a week, week. Yeah, by appointment. Yeah, it's it's also my office, so there's always somebody there. Okay, and I have been known to host a tasting or two. Right, if people just happen to wander in, like yes. what happened last night. Right. Can we make an appointment right now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sam, did you pour the... I did. I poured the the estate. So this is all Cabernet, all from the estate. The estate, yeah. 100% Cabernet, 100% estate. And as of 2014, the estate is um, certified organic. Thank you, Enterprise Vineyard Management. Okay, so can I ask about Blue Nun? Of course you can. Oh, good. <laughs> On the website, there's a reference to your father. Yeah, my father. Can you tell the story about Blue sure, Nun? Sure, sure. Uh, so um, I like to say Blue Nun put me through college. There you, you go. Know, paid for a very good education. Um, <laughs> so uh, my family used to be in the wine business in Germany, and um, their most famous uh, product was Blue Nun. So my, my father's family is Jewish. Um, his great-grandfather started this wine business. It was, it was mostly buying wine from you know, cooperatives and selling it abroad. Negociant. Um, a Negociant type, exactly, yeah. So um, it, they were quite successful. They were quite wealthy. And um, then the Nazis came along and you know, kind of all... You know, fell to pieces, as it <laughs> tends to when the Nazis come along. So, yeah. um, my father and his family fled in the 1930s, but because uh, the the wine business ha- was had such a strong export, um, you know, business, the local authorities kind of kept the business r- going in order to be able to you know Collect capitalize taxes. on the, and also to be able to capitalize on that. That hard currency, that export right. business. Anyway, whatever. Right. So the the winery continued to operate through the war. Um, Fascinating. So, so eventually, my father and his family got to New York in 1941, I think, and he was almost immediately recruited by the OSS, which later became the CIA, and he was sent right back to Europe. <laughs> um, so he 
spent the war trying to help fund the French resistance. Um, in 1945, he became CIA bureau chief in Berlin. Wow. And after that, in the early 1950s, he became CIA bureau chief in, in Hong Kong. So he had a very big career with the CIA. Those are, those are you know, for those of you who just watched Jack Ryan on, on, on uh, was it on Hulu and Amazon, uh, those, are, those are not small offices. No. <laughs> not no. unimportant especially offices that, in the world of the especially CIA. Especially at that time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so um, meanwhile, his uncle went back to Germany. And with my father's help, they, they reclaimed the, the wine business and the, and the physical you know, winery from wow. the authorities. Um, and what year was that? This was 45. 45. Um, wow. And my father's uncle basically restarted the business, you know, you know, got back in touch with all their contacts around the world, you know, started making wine again, yeah. started selling wine again. So when he died in 1959-ish, um, you know, he there was this business, this German wine business, which my father inherited. So he retired from the CIA and went into the wine business. And at that time, there was this, you know, Blue Nun was one of many wines they made. And it, I don't even think it was called Blue Nun. And he appointed this American importer. And they immediately kind of identified that, you know, this this wine had potential. So... They cleaned up the label. They sexified the nuns. They <laughs> simplified the name to can we nun. Can we please have that be the title of this episode? <laughs> we sexified the nuns. <laughs> Not something you get to hear or say very often. That's now, awesome. I, I want to go back and look at an old, I know, an old blue, blue nun. nun you know, get a, I'm, I'm pulling one up right now. Because was it? <laughs> Cause, cause was it? No, was, Brian cannot resist some sexified well, nuns like a, like a good Irish woman. <laughs> the blue nun label. That was the name of the label, and then they they. Did different varietals, or was it just no, one? No, it was always a, a Liebfrau Milch, which is a, a, a regional, a specific, a very specific style of wine. It has to come from certain grape varieties, from certain parts of Germany, has to be a certain quality level, a certain sweetness level. So it, it's like right. saying Zeller Schwarzakotz. Okay. So Liebfrau Milch is, is a particular. Which I also say all the time. <laughs> is, a, is, a, is a particular like regional style of. German wine. Interesting. So I was gonna. What are what were the varietals that your family worked with? In, in so it, it's a blend like, of you know Muller Turgau, Riesling, Gewürztraminer, Silvaner. You know, there's so about was, half a dozen uh, varieties. Almost you use. all. It was all white. Oh There was yes, no. There was yes. no Spattenberg under. No, no, no. Okay. It was all white. So anyway, the, the timing was excellent. Um, you know, Americans were starting to discover wine. And Blue Nun became this big phenomenon. In fact, my screensaver on my computer is the original Rumors album from Fleetwood Mac. Right. So you may remember that it was not a double album, but it opened up and there was this you know, picture, yes. this photograph on the inside of the band kind of sprawled in a living room. And on the floor is a bottle of Blue Nun. Really? No way. Yeah. <laughs> we have this in the tasting room. Uh, yeah. we, have, we have Rumors on the tasting house, so I'm going to go and... Look that up. Put it the on original the rumors album. Yeah, I think we have an. I think we have a an original present. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if not, I I have a screensaver. I can yeah, send that's you. awesome. That's awesome. And so, how big did Blue Nun get? Oh my God, enormous! It was three million cases yeah. by yeah. like 1980. Wow. You might be our. You might be linked to our biggest producer ever having on the show <laughs> at that number. <laughs> 
Uh, there it is. The world is full of wicked wines. <laughs> wow. Yeah, she's kind of giving you the, the this, wink. Yeah, kind of. she's got a little like... Hey, baby. The flirtiest nun I've ever seen. Totally. <laughs> they did not come, like that. They eyes. didn't look like that at St. Vincent's when I right. was going to school. <laughs> oh, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So, um, Wow. I don't. Is Blue Nun still in production now? Well, so you know, my father decided not to move back to Germany. Right. So he basically ran this winery from New York. Right. He had a general manager. So I, 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 I kind of think that when tastes change and the wine market evolved, maybe that lag time, you know, kind of worked against them. Yeah. So you know, they they weren't able to kind of keep up with the times, and Blue Nun, you know, started declining. And at some point, he sold. Yeah, okay. So he sold to another German wine company. Um, and Blue Nun is still there. I've, I've seen it in supermarkets. Yeah, I, that's what I was just wondering. I, I, I've, um, <coughs> there, it was in the news sometime in the last few years about something. And maybe it was a amount of years it had been in production. Or oh, maybe they went back I to the blue label. I'll have to think about that. Or the blue, blue glass. Yeah, the blue glass was after our time. It was after yeah. your time, yeah. You know, well, then there you go. That sums it up right, right there. Anything in blue glass, with the exception of Sky Vodka, I think has failed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I've seen, I think I've seen some wines actually that have, you know, if you want to stand out, that's that's one way to do it besides having your label. Right. But, um, you have sexified none. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, when, when you took over that tasting room in Glen Ellen was already no, established? No, no. No, there. Uh, no, what I took over was the vineyard. There is a little winery on the vineyard, and that was it. So no, the production I, was actually on the vineyard. Yeah, Patrick made every vintage there wow. at the vineyard, but and unfortunately, that, that winery um, is not in very good shape. And Patrick had increasingly been having been having trouble with Brett. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I just felt it would be safer to move to Custom Crush. And initially, I was thinking it would be short term, but I love Custom Crush. Yeah. You know exactly what your costs are going to be. Yeah, you don't have to worry about equipment. Well, you don't really have to worry about equipment breaking yeah. down. And, you um, know, at Punchdown, there's always a harvest intern to, you know, do the punch downs late at night. And so how is that? How does that work? Um, you're actually, each winery, depending on how big you are, you're assigned X amount of um, interns? No, no. So they have, a, a like, a class of interns, and... Um, it kind of depends. Randall has always been assigned his own intern because Randall has a few projects in addition to Laurel Glen, so he and they're all at Punchdown. Mm-hmm. So he has, I don't know, three or four projects that he makes at, at Punchdown, so he earns his own intern. Right. Otherwise, and, you'd be sharing your intern with somebody else. Okay. So, and I mean, because that's, but it is always the same intern also. Because you kind of hope that, or is it a revolving no, group no, of it's interns? A revol- oh, no, my God, totally revolving. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, each year it's. No, but a I mean, new crop, once you have a, harvest. you have that oh, harvest, yes. you have the same intern. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. So that yes. way you kind of get to know them and yeah, yeah. Um, you don't have to worry about, well, the last guy knew how to do that and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, no, there it's, you have that person throughout. I mean, winemakers are persnickety, you know, they like things done a certain way and sometimes they don't have a reason they want it done that way. They just want it done that way. 
So I've never heard of any winemaker ever doing that. <laughs> I'm not going to comment. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, have you ever thought about having a tasting room on the property? Because it's so site specific. I think the the brand. Um, you know, it's not. County. What's Sorry. that? <laughs> Good luck in Sonoma County. Yeah. You know, it it would be nice, but it would not be easy. You know, it's it's yeah. a terrible road. Yeah, but that's what I love about it. Okay, well, you're one person. Yeah, you know, you know. Do you get, ever take cuts on Sonoma Mountain Road when you're coming over Bennett Valley? So I told you that you know I've only belonged to I think two wine clubs in my life. It's, oh, right. it's Gloria Ferrer right mm-hmm. now because my wife drinks Blanc de Noir like it's coming out of the faucet, and and the Katuri wines. And I used to actually pick it up at Tony's house right and so i love the whole and i still i mean i tell the story of going to that property and and it's because it's not like a this grand chateau it's it's a very different experience and i i like that kind of more grainy experience when i'm going to taste wines up on the mountain i mean it would be lovely to be able to use that property more (laughs) um there are a lot of you know factors kind of working against us one is the terrible road another is a neighbor who, you know, rats us out every chance he gets uh, for perceived infringements. Um, you know, a third is, you know, the, the infrastructure really isn't there. It would, would be quite a, an investment to, yeah. you know, turn it into something that is ready to receive visitors. I don't know. It's well, so- and, and, and frankly, you know, both your winemaker and your wine grower um, would rather nobody ever set foot out there that wasn't one of them <laughs> or their agents. I mean, you know, we, we, we're we happy to take our club members up there. I take trade up there all the time. Um, right. You know, it's we have a, a party every year for our club up there. Right. But to have people coming up on a, even just a couple times a week, you have to have bathrooms and they have to, then they have to be um, ADA. ADA. Right. And, and yeah. the county is hard to do business with. And yeah. neighbors, you know, that don't understand that you have a right to farm and it's part of it, they just don't want it, you know, in their backyard. So, I, you know, it's a bummer, but I totally understand. Right. You know, so it's not like the, you know, if you wanted to go see the vineyard, I'd love to take you. You know, I, and I'm I'm always happy to take people up there. It's a beautiful. I love going up there. Uh, you know, I I just assumed that it, it wasn't you know sort of trammeled. Right, right. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, did you lose any wine club members when you took over the property? Well, there wasn't really a wine club before. Oh, so that wasn't even a. I mean, Patrick had a list of people that he kind of sent an email to once a year when he released a new vintage. And so, how did he sell most of the wine? Wholesale. His business was almost exclusively wholesale. Wow. And so what is your mix these days with direct-to-consumer? and? You know, it's not as high direct as I would like. We're probably at about 65%. It's not bad. No, I mean, it's certainly a, a whole lot better than where we started. Yeah. But, you know, we don't make a whole lot of wine. Yeah, what is production? Um, the largest production is Counterpoint, which is about fifteen to 1,800 cases. Laurel Glen is like seven to a seven hundred to a thousand, depending on the vintage. Wow. Depending on how much fruit Phil dropped. Exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, the the third one we're going to have the lot series is like one hundred and fifty cases. The Sauvignon Blanc is about four hundred. The Rosé is about a hundred. So you know we sort of scrape three thousand. Wow. Yeah, totally controllable, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, you know, for, with that number, we should be selling. 80 to 90% direct. And right. that, I would like to get to about 80% direct. Right. But I, I do think wholesale is an important part of the equation. 
Yeah. Well, it's nice for people to see it out on the shelves sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and especially, and you know, when your label was established kind of on wholesale, I mean, you have loyal customers, I'm sure, throughout yeah. the country, and they want to be able to get it, you know. Even, but, and, and even a little bit selfishly, um, having the Laurel Glen brand out in the market in, in you know, in major markets in, in the United States is great for Sonoma Valley as Absolutely. a as a wine yeah. region. Nice. It's it's you know, truly, you know, when I think of I think of the sort of history of Sonoma Valley Cabernet, it's it's Laurel Glen and it's what was once Carmenet. Um and you know, this is so you know and also you know, this is a, a testament to what you've, you know, continued with it. Um it's the heritage brand of you know, especially Sonoma Mountain, that um, well, you know, it's it's an it's an important one uh, for the rest of us too. Is yeah. what I'm saying. I mean, it, yeah. it is a label. If you you would find it across the country, like right. you may a list of Cabernets, there may be no, maybe a handful of Sonoma County um, Cabernets, but if there was a Sonoma Valley, it was either you know a Richard Arrowwood or a Chateau Saint Jean or Laurel Glen. You know, right. I mean, it's Fine dining. I mean, Fine dining. Yeah. Know, not, not, Absolutely. You know, yeah, not in Safeway. Safeway, you would find the Kenwoods and the St. Francis's. And, right. So, yeah. Do, were you able to get some of the back vintages? Like, was, was there a library I was. available? Yes. Uh, do you keep them for yourself or do you sell them? <laughs> um, well, so I did buy a library from Patrick, and it basically, you know, incorporates every right. vintage he ever made. You know, some vintages, all I have is magnums or, you know, some vintages I have, you know, a few bottles. Um, I have used that library to do, you know, s some PR events. You know, I've done a cup. I've done two complete vertical tastings over the years. Didn't you, there was one uh, yeah, signature, signature Sonoma? Sonoma. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, we do, you know, open up the library to club members, and I do use the library to get placements like at French Laundry. You know. Right. Because you know they're not interested in counterpoint or the current vintage; they want something really rare. Yeah. So I, I do kind of leverage it as I can. That's good. But I you know it's a finite resource, unfortunately. So. So let's talk about you called it the lot. The lot series. Lot yeah. series. Yeah. So um, we started making this wine from the 2012 vintage. And I consider this to be my homage to the Laurel Glen vintages of the late 1980s and the 1990s. So it is a barrel selection. We're we're choosing, you know, five to six barrels. Uh, you know, the barrels that have to me the, the the way I describe it is the barrels that have the most personality, that you know are a little bit more rustic. Um, you know, kind of you know stand out from you know aren't aren't as 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 manicured and and um elegant and um and you're, you're this is like two or three barrels worth basically well yeah more like five or six but yeah a small number of barrels okay. all right you said 150 cases um, wow yeah so th this to me is i'm trying to you know okay so the the full story is that you know, we we changed the farming a little bit. We changed the winemaking a little bit. Laurel Glen Estate Cabernet today is a much more 
elegant creature than was the case in Patrick's day. Mm -hmm. Will that age as well as Patrick's wines have? I don't know the answer yet. So this is kind of my attempt to always have something in the in the lineup, which clearly will, you know, develop beautifully for 15, 20 years and perhaps more. This is what vintage? This is 13. 13. Yeah. I mean, this wine has so much texture and um, the, the those fine grain tannins that Dave Ramey used to talk about, you know, capturing those. Um, really spectacular. Wow, that's yeah. good. That's killer. Yeah, so um, we keep this wine in bottle for, an, uh, you know, yet another. So the Laurel Glen we keep in bottle for two years before release, and this we keep in bottle for three years before release. Wow. So we actually have just released the next vintage, but it's not tasting as good as this one is. <laughs> and what are the retail prices on these three wines? Yeah. <laughs> I, I've done a lot of raising prices. You know, that Phil Katuri guy, he say, does not the, come cheap. Most Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> um, so today the counterpoint is a $50 suggested retail. The Laurel Glen State Cabernet is $90. And the Lot Wine, the Lot Series, is 125 That's actually pretty reasonable. Yeah. You well, have, thank you for saying I, you that. Have, you have... I mean, there's room to grow with those prices. Sorry, Laurel Glen customers out there exist, but uh, yeah, there's there's definitely a high value at those prices. It's tough, you know. I, I'm Patrick was always, you know, very value price conscious. I too, you know, I I'll, I'll write up an order, I'll bring up an order for somebody, and I'm like, wow, our wines are expensive. <laughs> so it's it's hard. It, it, it is um, when you someone buys a case of wine and you see how much it is. It, yeah. But right. you have to understand. Like, well, never spend that much. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you have to understand what it takes, what it goes into making that case yeah. of wine. I mean, the amount of people that touch it and how many times it's handled, even when you're not handling the wines, um, it, it, it's, a lot of, um, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Know, and I mean, we're, we're trying to create the best quality raw ingredient we can yeah. in the form of the grapes and then you know we want to treat them as respectfully as we can mm. so yeah it's it's an expensive process that is a beautiful wine thank you yeah. so can you talk a little bit about um how people um can get the wines you know obviously you can go to the website you sit mentioned a wine club do you want to talk about what the wine club sure. is um and any events or anything coming up that you want to plug so um, we we have a wine club. We do two releases a year, uh, March and October. Um, the March release will be the the next finish of the Laurel Glen Estate Cabernet and the Rosé, um, which our wine club members you know are very fond of. If you ever just wanted to like leave a bottle with the Winemakers <laughs> Podcast uh, crew, we drink Rosé. We drink Rosé every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> well, I think I could probably arrange that. And then in the fall, we released the, the new vintage of Counterpoint, the new vintage of the Lot Series, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, you know, we're very flexible. If you want to skip a vintage, if you want to personalize your vintage, yeah. we make that very easy. And basically, the, the difference between our clubs is how many bottles of each you get. Right. So we have a bronze level, a silver level, a gold level, and, you know, each of those. And if you want more, more we'll double them. Yeah, exactly. 
We'll send you as many bottles as you want. <laughs> we are here to sell wine. Right, Sam? Um, I know there's a certain um, mountain cabernet at gmail.com out there who needs to have some of this mountain cabernet in his oh, cellar. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that Roger Randall's ever been to Laurel. I don't right? know. We got to get that on his next trip out here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, anything else, guys? I just want to smell this wine. Yeah. Right. Do you have anything coming up or any events oh, across the country? We have not or? yet planned our March release party yet. Okay. Um, and, you know, it, it's been a little bit of a challenging time for me. Um, we, we, are, we, we are building a house. Um, and are you are you're rebuilding in Soda Canyon? Well, no, actually. So our, our house, my, my, my house, my husband's in my house, burned on Soda Canyon. Right. But it was for sale when it burned, and we'd been wanting to move to Sonoma. So we bought a fire lot in Glen Ellen, oh. and we're rebuilding there. So, you know, we're in the middle of building a house. Yeah. Um, you know, there, we've had a few health challenges amongst, you know, my husband and children. Anyway, so it's, it's been a little bit of a challenge year, yeah. so I haven't done much traveling okay. is, is where I'm going here. Yeah, no worries. But I hope to be doing more in the second half of yeah, the year. Yeah, we're just trying to give you a chance to mention anything you want to, so. Yeah, I appreciate that. So are you, are you building a house just right up Warm Springs? It's actually on London Ranch. On London Ranch, okay. Yeah. There, were, there was um, sort of a little run of four houses that burned, yep. and we bought one of those lots. Oh, cool. Wow. I'll wave to you as I go up on my bike. <laughs> or at least the contractors right. grew at this moment. Yeah. Stop for water. Yeah, no, it's nice to see that most of those homes are, it looks like, almost finished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ours is kind of the laggard. It took us a while to figure out what we were going to do. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, we're, I think we're going to go up and see Corbin. Um, we're going to go up there? I, I, I mean, I'm, I like that idea. I'm going to... That would be my vote. I could text him. I could just text him right now, or we could just wait until he listens to this episode, and then and then he could tell us <laughs> if, if that's okay or not. I just love that property. It's, uh, oh, it's and yeah, it's, and after the house was gone, we could wave to Laurel Glen from that property. Yeah, you probably could. Yeah. Oh, for let's sure. bring oh, binoculars. Sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> weird, but okay. I got, no, I got some of my dad's old binoculars, and right. we could kind of check out what we could, we could see. There's, I there. mean, you could see a lot of you know you the view of, of Sonoma everything. Mountain. Well, you, um, I mean, you can also look down on Opus One from that property, right? Yeah, exactly. Which is so kind of yeah. surprising. Yeah. And if it's clear, which you know it's going to be February, so maybe it will or won't be on really on like the magical, perfect, clear day, there's actually a, a spot where you can see the ocean. I mean, that's wow. how higher up you oh, are. Wow. I, yeah. you know, this is Corbin Cameron Moonridge. Yeah. 22, I think. We'll find out. We'll ask him. Right, we'll go up there on Friday. It'll be 70 degrees, I heard. Do you hear that? Really? We're going to hit 70 on Friday. Cool. I know. Good we can come to Sonoma. Of course, yeah. this episode will be at a week after it's 70 degrees on a Friday. And uh, Thank you for first, visiting Sonoma. First for the, <laughs> thank you for visiting Sonoma the first uh, weekend in February. How's the weather where you were the first weekend in February? Right. The weather is here. Wish you were beautiful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, do you guys ever pour at the Fairmont? Do you ever have someone that comes over and pours uh, for the... Well, you know, Eric Henson, our um, sort of tasting room wine club manager, he used to work at the Fairmont. So he has done a couple of pourings there. But okay. we're always up for more. Okay. You know anybody at the Fairmont, Brian? There are a couple people. Okay. <laughs> Should I be following up with you? Should I tell Eric to follow up with you? I have nothing to do with you. Do you know that Brian is the new head sommelier and wine buyer at Sante? 
the. I I thought you already were. No. Well, no, he's new. It's because it's official. He's actually been doing it for years. But. No, I have not. <laughs> number one. And I don't know. According to my orders, he's still not buying a new wine. <laughs> exactly <Ooh>. right. <laughs> got to get got to get rid of the wine that I have, Sam. <laughs> I'll be in for dinner next week. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. You guys want to get any uh, shout outs to anyone out there? Uh, Melanie. Uh, we just want to say hello to Melanie down south. Hopefully, if Sam will let Jasmine um, go for hospice to Rhone. I think we're just going to have to close that weekend. Well, you guys are gone. You're in Oklahoma mm, for some reason. They actually I just know. emailed me about the, the it's the Philbrook. Oh, uh, you're doing that. Doing the Philbrook, oh, yeah. God, I was so intimidated by the value of the auction lot. You have to. Well, I, I think we're doing like a whole Moon Mountain, okay, like grouping, um, so that makes it easier to get to a, a higher value. Um, thirty thousand. I think it has to be valued at thirty thousand. Oh, or something. Gonna, well, I, I think we're doing. I don't know what we're doing. I gotta. I gotta talk to Philippe. I think Philippe is in charge. Um, at. Uh, we're going to do some Stone Edge stuff, too. To Paula Cornell, Stone Edge. You should um, do that at Edge Restaurant over a meal. Yes. Right. The first... Have, have we ever you, done... Have you been there? I haven't, but I've been dying to go. Oh, oh, me that's too. That's a great <laughs> idea. I'm told... All right. Talk to somebody. Well, supposedly the... Would they just put, like, microphones in front of us and served us a meal and wine at Edge and just let us talk about what was happening? And, and you could describe each bite. Well, no, I think we'll probably just shoot the shit like we normally do. But right. <laughs> well, and um, Gloom Boy and Gloom Girl have yes. invited us to uh, come. Chris Yarian. Yes, the Yarians. Um, they, they said, anytime you guys want to go, we'll hook you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Start taking doing some of these things. I know. It's, it's all one of our things. On all of our free time. That's one of those things, too, when you're a wine buyer for a restaurant and all the wineries come and say, oh, you should come stay at our, at our you know, we've got a house on the property. And you're like, I work in a restaurant. Right. I even work holidays. Like, when, do you, <laughs> when do you suggest that? Yeah, How's it. a Tuesday night for you? <laughs> right. Save it for your big buyers. Um, Melanie, hello. We're, we're going to come down and see you. Um, Jasmine might be crashing on your, uh, on your couch. Um, Help you herd your goats. That's right. Don't give up on organic yet. Don't give up on the no spray. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Looking easy for us to say. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If I only had a time machine, I can't wait till April. Um, You guys, um, do us a favor and uh, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. And if you have any five stars, whether you like it or not, five stars would be especially this episode. Exactly. Five stars would be great. Um, um, and if you have any suggestions for guests and of course continue to follow us on on Instagram um, and continue to come into the tasting room I am constantly blown away by the amount of people showing up at the tasting room that are podcast listeners that um, you know are from all over different parts of the country and and just want to stop by and say hi and buy some wine and and we love hosting you and seeing you and shooting the shit so there you go. Yeah, Keep coming. Keep coming. Thank you, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. I will look forward to talking. And go to out you. and find you know most markets in. Would you want to say quickly some of the markets that you're in, so people who are out there, you don't have to wait to come to Sonoma and sure. to go to Laurel Glen Tasting Room or even have Patina ship you wine. You could probably go to dinner sometime in the next two weeks, or go to you know a fine wine shop and buy a bottle in yeah. a lot of places. Yeah, we're distributed um, all along the East Coast. Um, 
you know, Chicago, Texas, there are a couple of other investor markets, Michigan, um, you know, and Cal- you know, we're, we're in most major markets. Right. So go find, go have a bottle with a, a nice meal somewhere. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> bottle of counterpoint. And that uh, is screaming for a steak right there. Yeah, and if th- you're a vegan, uh, throw a mushroom cauliflower on the steak. Right. right. Yeah, this, this, <laughs> is, this is, this <laughs> is hard to find in distribution. I would assume so. There yeah. are uh, there yeah. uh, there are a few points of distribution, but mostly it's the Laurel Glen Estate Cabernet and the Counterpoint. Yeah. They're okay. delicious. <clears throat> well done. Great cool, Bettina. Thanks for coming and sharing the history. Such a pleasure, and I apologize for my little remnant of a cold. Tis the season. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> in the same boat yeah. right now. Either you yeah. either you have it, you already had it, or you're or about you're, to get it, or you're running from it. <laughs> exactly right. All right, guys, thanks for listening. If you want to listen to some of the past episodes, you can go to radiomisfits.com and check us out there. You can also follow us on Facebook or hit us up on the Insta. We'll look forward to talking to you next week.